to the River Christian Fellowship. I'm Scott Spencer, assistant pastor here, and um, I'm going to be speaking to you today from Ephesians 5. So we actually made it through Ephesians 4, more or less. Move on to Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 7. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving for of this for of this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as a man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath come on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for your word, your word that brings life, that brings renewal, that brings peace. Father, we pray for your presence today. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and have freedom in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the New Testament clearly teaches chastity outside of marriage. Um, But beyond that, much beyond that, a controlled mind. Uh, Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.27 is an example. So we live in a time, I brought this up last time, we live in a time when uh, it's like no other time in the history of the world. But the heart of man is ever the same, ever the same. It's the same as the Ephesians that Paul was writing to. The heart of man hasn't changed. Um, I would dare to say that it's not worse, but it's not better. We are pretty much very similar to the people who lived in the time of the Ephesians. What's different is uh, we live in a very technological connected world. We carry in our pocket a device that can connect us to literally any part of the world at any time, day or night. You can sit there with your device and have a face-to-face conversation with somebody. You can access any, literally any kind of material that you want to in secret. Nobody knows what you're doing. Nobody knows what you're looking at. Nobody knows what you're saying. You clear your browser history. No one's the wiser. It's all secret. The only one who knows is God. He knows what's going on in your heart. Paul is saying, Paul is saying there, have a controlled mind. If we have a controlled mind, if we have a heart that's given over to God, those activities that are an abomination to God, there won't be the temptation that they would be otherwise. They won't be something that is a problem. Ephesus was a, a, a wicked, Ephesus was a very, very wicked city. Uh, the primary religion there was 
the worship of the sensual goddess Diana, and ritual prostitution was the, the, the way of uh, worship in that, um, that uh, worship system. And so there was not only cultural acceptance, but they saw that as an exalted way of life, which is kind of like something we see today, isn't it? Where a lifestyle that is an abomination to God, that God spoke out against, he said it's going to bring death to your life, it's going to lead you in a downward spiral, and that is exalted. People look up to that. That, that is elevated as a model way of life. You, you are accepting. You are loving if you accept that kind of a lifestyle. And uh, this was very similar to what was going on in Ephesus. And Paul said, you Christians need to come out of that. That is not appropriate. That is not an appropriate lifestyle for you. Paul says, among you, there must not even be a hint, a hint of immorality. Why do you think that was? It's because Christians were setting themselves apart. I've been, I've been pounding on this for a while. I've been telling you folks that you are saints. You are set apart. That's the definition of being a saint, set apart. It does not mean that there's some ecclesiastical group somewhere that examined uh, your life and looked for miracles and looked for an elevated lifestyle and then declared you to be a saint. No, when you become a Christian, you are immediately set apart. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, I became a Christian a week or two ago, but my life's pretty much still a mess, you know, and you're calling me a saint. And I'm saying, yes, yes. God has set you apart for His work. And now, now your chore is to let God do His work. Let Him give you direction in your life so that your lifestyle reflects what God is expecting out of us. This is not an overnight process. There are some of us that are well over 30 And our life is still a work in progress. There are some of you who are, you know, even beyond me, your life is still a work in progress. This is something that God works on in our life, our entire life. And all I'm saying here is, don't beat yourself up and say, oh, I'm just going to quit being a Christian because I can't do it. I don't, I can't live like that. No, I know you can't live like that. None of us can live like that. But God can enable us to work our way in that direction. And we can aspire to live like that. We can reflect constantly. Sometimes we need to ask forgiveness for, from, from God for our behavior multiple times a day. You know, I get to work and about 30 minutes after I get to work, I walk in, you know, we have a meeting first off. I, I walk in my office and I say, oh, God, forgive me for... You know, I mean, I can't even make it 30 minutes at work, right? There's something going on. It's because in our heart, in our heart, we are, we are wicked people. There's nothing good in my heart except for what God has put there. And the, and the challenge is to let God work in my heart to respond to what it is that he's directing me to do and to not do. 
and, 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 and let him indwell my heart. Um, I got an email last week, and I've been reflecting on how to respond to this. This person says, I've been an occult worshiper my entire life. And this, this is an older man. He's, I think he's in his 80s. I've been an occult worshiper my whole life, and devils are all over me. Where's God? Well, <laughs> it's almost laughable, isn't it? Because you're saying, you know, if you've been an occult worshiper, why would you expect God to come and save you from yourself? Because you are choosing that. We have a choice. We have a choice. What is it that you want to worship? Do you want to worship God? And do you want to renounce Satan and renounce that kind of a lifestyle? Most of us here, I would say, probably that's the case. But if someone is saying, I want to be a Satan worshiper, but I also want God to save me. Hello, I'm not understanding this. We have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. Paul says, be imitators of God. How do you imitate God? That's a pretty big, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a pretty big order, right? How do we imitate God? Well, Jesus said, if you want to know the Father, look at me. Because I only do what I see the Father doing, and I only say what I hear the Father saying. Jesus reflects God. We need to look to Jesus. We need to study and understand his teachings. Look at his lifestyle. Look at what he taught. Look at what the apostles taught. That tells us how God is. Jesus teaches us what God looks like and what God sounds like. So we need to be students of Jesus. Paul, I love Paul. Most of the time I spend, I'm preaching about Paul. The reason is that Paul points to Jesus. I was kind of joking to somebody this morning before the service. I said, I said, I, I'm a direction sign is what I am. You know, like by the road, they have the arrow sign. You know, I'm like, Jesus is over there. He's right there. The answer to your problems is right there. I don't have any answers in myself. I can give you my opinions. People come to me once in a while and they say, I want to know what you think about this. And I'm like, well, I can give you my opinion. I don't have any answers myself. I'm a messed up guy too, but I can point to Jesus. I can be a direction sign. And, and Paul here says, be imitators of God. So you want to know what your life should look like? Look to Jesus. Jesus is telling you what your life should look like. And I firmly believe that if you're a Christian, you cannot be possessed by demons. You might be harassed by demons. You know, Satan's got a lot of little minions that go around causing trouble. We might have that, but there's no such thing as a possessed Christian. Because if you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, a demon has no chance of getting in you. So don't blame demons. It might be your own decisions. It might be your own stupid decisions. Let's ask God. Ask God. Pray about it. I was talking to somebody the other day, and um, 
He was going to accept a job. And he called me up. And he says, I'm on my way. I'm going to accept this job. He says, but I don't think I've ever felt anything that was more wrong. And I said, well, you, you better stop and take a moment and pray about it. Maybe it is wrong. Maybe the Holy Spirit is telling you, don't take that job. And, uh, you know, as it turned out, he listened to the Holy Spirit. He listened to what the Holy Spirit was telling him. He didn't accept the job. Now, I don't know. I don't know what God has in mind here. I can't tell. And I can't tell him what to do and where to go. But what I can do is I can say, listen to the Holy Spirit. Because that's God talking to you. I've said this before, and I'll probably say it again. You know, that that thing that that we referred to back when I was a kid, you know, we called it it our conscience. That's not your conscience. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you, telling you, do this or don't do that. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you. And I believe the Holy Spirit talks to everybody. And even people who are possibly cultic worshipers, the Holy Spirit is still convicting them that what they're doing is wrong. And that's why I got the email that I did from that guy the other day is because he knows it's wrong. He knows what he's doing. The Holy Spirit has convicted him and told him. And even though he might be full of demons, the Holy Spirit is still telling him, you can still turn. You can turn and go in a different direction. We have a term in Christianity we call repentance. Repentance is not your everyday terminology these days, is it? Sounds like some huge theological term with all of this, you know, vocabulary that everybody hates. No, all it means is stop what you're doing and go in a different direction. Stop and turn. Stop and turn. If the way you're going is wrong, then stop. Stop. Get in touch with God. God, what do I do? Maybe there's somebody who can help you. That's that's what we're to do as Christians, is walk through life with each other, right? We're supposed to help each other when we're down. The literal definition of a pastor is to walk with somebody. And I I do this because I'm imagining that they're standing here. Arm around them. And if they fall down, you help them get up. And that's not just people who have the position of pastor. That is the, uh, the function of a saint as well. God puts people in your life that you are to walk through life with. And maybe you've had experiences and you're thinking, what on earth can God do with that experience? Well, I'll tell you what God can do with that experience. That night, that nightmare of experience that you had is that He can prepare you to walk with somebody else. You have compassion for them. You have strength where they have weakness. We walk through life together. Paul is saying, imitate God. Imitate God. You know, um, 
Paul says there, he said, said, watch your talk. What's the thing about talk? What, what, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about men here, but I've been around women that can be pretty bad. So this is not just a man thing. But what happens when you're talking? You know, think about it, guys. You know, locker room situation. You're in the locker room. Somebody says something a little off color. What's the first thing that happens? Somebody else has to up the ante, right? They said this. I have this. And then somebody else has that. And it it just goes. It just goes, right? The talk just goes. And it gets worse and worse as as it goes. And Paul is saying, that's not God-honoring to do that. That does nothing for your spirit. That encourages you to live in a way, to act in a way that is not God-honoring. And you, you think about that, you know, you think about, think about Jesus. Sometimes I've, sometimes I've taken the position, I've said, well, Jesus had the capability, because scripture tells us this, right? He had the capability of doing everything that we do. Well, how does scripture phrase it? He says, it says, Jesus was tempted in every way such as we are. Jesus was tempted just like you. Men, you know, we use that excuse. Well, we're men. That's what men do. I've even said that before. You know, you got to excuse me. I'm a man. That's, that's how men act. Jesus was tempted just like we are. He had the ability to do anything that I have ever done. He had that ability. But he didn't. He didn't. How did he not do that? Well, he's God for one thing, right? So that rules me out. <laughs> but what else? You've got to remember the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ resides within you. He gives you the ability to lean on him, to learn from him. To look at him. He's a reflection of God. How should you live? You know, when you're in a situation like that, and I I used this example the other day, it's just like you're at a Y in the road. You know, you can veer left or you can veer right. I can go left and I can behave like a complete idiot because that's, that's the term that Paul uses there, moronic talk. It's moronic talk. Think about that next time. I'm talking like a moron. That's what Paul said. Don't talk like a moron. So I can, I can go left and I can act like a complete moron, or I can go right and I can reflect Jesus in my life. That's your choice. Have a choice. We have a choice in everything that we can do. And you know, whatever road you go down, there's consequences for it. You're going to act like a moron. You're going to get results in your life like a moron. You know, some people like like the email I got, you know, why is my life such a mess? Well, you've been acting like a moron. What do you expect? You know, you get out of life what you put into it. If you're going to go the other way and you're going to live a life that honors God and reflects Jesus, 
you're going to get results from that too. You know, you're going to get a peaceful life. You're going to get a life of satisfaction. You're going to get a life that is encompassed by love. You live the life of a moron, you get the results of moronic actions. And not only that, but, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're living like a moron all the time, and you're acting like a moron, what kind of friends do you attract? You attract moronic friends. And you've just compounded your situation. Because now, not only now, now, now you're not just possessed by one demon, but you're possessed by ten in the form of your friends. That's your choice. You go the other way, and you're thinking, wow, I can't imagine how boring it would be to hang out with Pastor Scott. He's got to be the most boring guy ever. I don't want friends like that. I don't want to spend time with him. He probably falls asleep in his office half the time. That part's true, but... But we have a pretty good time. And people that I work with, you know, they'll attest to that. You know, sometimes I can get a little prickly. And sometimes sometimes I need to, to be, you know, the Holy Spirit needs to rein me back in. But, but just because we're a Christian does not mean we don't have fun in life. Just because we're a Christian doesn't mean that we don't have quality, a quality life. What I don't have... What I don't have is the results of living a moronic life. Because I've renounced that. I've walked away from that. Paul says at one point, he says, he says, such as you were. You were all of those things, you know. At one point in my life, you could say that I was living a moronic life. You could say I was making bad decisions. You could say that my life was probably, if I continued on that way, would have gone in a downward spiral like I talked about last week. That downward spiral into death. If I would continued living like that, that's where I would end up. But I renounced all of that. I turned. I repented. I acknowledged the fact that the way I was living was not a God-honoring lifestyle. And I, I walked away from that and I turned from that and I turn in a different direction, and I never look back. There are people who knew me 25 years ago, and if you told them what I'm doing right now, they'd say, no way. There is no way. There's no way that's Scott. In fact, we broadcast our radio station in a couple of places where I used to live, and sometimes I've wondered, I wonder if they hear me on the radio and they're like, well, I remember somebody by that name, but there is no way. There's no way. That's not him. He was a moron. <laughs> he was an idiot. And it's true. It's true. But God can take us from that, from that condition that, that is, is uh, Satan worshiping. And if we will renounce that, renounce it, and turn and go in a different direction. And you know what? Sometimes that does take prayer. Sometimes you need somebody standing beside you, praying with you, to get all of that out of your life. 
and allow you then to walk in a new direction. And that's part of what we do as Christians. We help each other through those situations. Jesus said, he said, I tell you that man will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned. Our words have power. You know, we had this saying when I was a kid, um, sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can never hurt you. That is a lie. That's a lie. We were taught lies when I was a kid. And it might have been my parents who taught me that. I don't know. But it was still a lie because words have power. I'm telling you, words have power. And if you speak into somebody's life, if you speak something that that the Holy Spirit has prompted you to say, and I'm not talking about, you know, brother, I got a word from God from you. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is a word of encouragement. You know, you talk to somebody who's been living the moronic lifestyle and they're getting the results of a moronic lifestyle and you encourage them. You say, look, if you if you will renounce that and turn and go in a different direction, you your life will change. And it will. You know, those words that you speak. But if you speak words that are not from the God, not from the Lord, if you speak something moronic into their life and they act on that, you can have the opposite effect. You bet your words have power. And the Bible says that we're going to be judged by them, not only for the negative things that we say, but for the positive things that we say and for the things we don't say. Think about that. You're going to be judged by things you don't say. If you're talking to a friend and you see that they're making a horrible mistake in their life and you just say, ah, well, it's their choice, it's their life, you know, I don't want to get involved, it's messy, I don't want to go there, you know, that may have been the Holy Spirit prompting you to say something to them and you didn't say it because you don't want to be involved. Think about that for a moment. You know, maybe God put you there for them. Maybe God put you there to be a road sign, right? Saying, go this way. Stop, turn. This is a dead end you're heading down. This is a dead end. For those of us who live here in Twin Falls, you know, near the Snake River Canyon, if you see a dead end sign, it may literally be a dead end sign. It could be. And you need to stop. Because you're going in a bad direction, and it's not going to be pretty when it ends. And if God put you there in their life to give them a warning, you better do it. Because we're judged by the words that we say. We're judged by the words that we don't say. And then, then there's that warning. All of these things that Paul is saying, you will not inherit the kingdom of, of God. Um, sexually immoral, idolaters, idolaters, prostitution, homosexual offenders, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers. There's a long list there. And I want to point out 
that none of these are worse than the other one. None of them are worse than the other one. They're all listed in the same list. We need to be careful how we live. Now, I'm fond of saying this. I'm fond of saying this. The bar to become a Christian is really low. It's not very high. It's like, it's like really low. It's like you could practically step over it. What is that bar to become a Christian? It's to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. A 10-year-old can do that. You know, there's one time when a, a kid wanted to be baptized. I don't remember the age, 9 or 10, 8 maybe, somewhere in there, and wanted to be baptized. And, and uh, someone's kind of questioning me about it. Oh, do you think they're old enough to be baptized? Do you think they really understand what baptism means? And I said, well, do they understand that, that they're a little sinner who needs a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ? Do they understand that? Well, yeah, yeah, they understand that. They can verbalize that. And I said, well, what else do they need to know? What else do they need to know? What else does anybody need to know when they become a Christian? You know, there's some people who, you know, uh, chronologically, they might be 40 years old. And behavior-wise, I know some guys like this. I think maybe I was a guy like this. You know, 40 years old, but, but emotionally and mentally, they're 15, right? They just don't grow up. So are you going to say, well, they can't become a Christian because, you know, they're acting like an imbecile all the time? No. Do they understand that they're a sinner and they need a Savior? Can they understand that? Because that's the starting point. That's the starting point. And then if you look at a list like this, you say, wow, there's no hope for me. There's no way. You know, I'm, I'm several of these on this list. I'm several of them. Here's the thing. In Christ, there's forgiveness for that. If you will stop what you're doing and repent and turn in a different direction... And ask God for forgiveness for that. He will give it to you. And you don't have to earn it. It's not like you have to go out and say, uh, I got to volunteer for, for 500 hours before God's going to forgive me of this sin. No, it doesn't work like that. Jesus paid the price for you. Jesus paid the price for you and, and his blood is enough to cover any sin. It doesn't matter what you've done. And then you say, well, does that mean that a serial killer could be forgiven and go to heaven? Yeah. Yeah, that's what that means. That means that somebody who has committed a heinous crime against humanity can go to heaven. And then you say, well, does that mean that my ex-wife who cheated on me with ten men can get forgiven and go to heaven? Yeah. That's what that means. Somebody who has committed a horrible offense against you can be forgiven and and be in heaven. That's what that means. The Bible says that 
If we're going to be forgiven, we need to forgive. We need to forgive. That's a tall order sometimes. You know, you've had, you've had things committed against you that were very painful. It's a tall order to forgive. But you know what? Those are people you're going to be in heaven with. You can't expect much harmony if you can't forgive them, can you? Bible says if you're going to be forgiven, you have to forgive. That's hard. That's not something that you can do in your own strength. That's something that you need power from the Holy Spirit to do. And you can't expect it sometimes to be an overnight thing. You know, it's, it kills me sometimes. You know, you're going through, you're going through something hard. You're going through something difficult and people will say, well, you just need to give it to the Lord. What are you, what are you stressing over? Because I do that all the time, right? Why are you stressing over that? Just give it to the Lord. That sounds great. And of course we do that, don't we? We do that. We say, God, take this, take this thing. Take this because I can't deal with it. But we hang on to it. We don't just give it up. It's kind of like you, you say, God, take this thing for me. And then you stuff it in your backpack. And you carry it around. And it's a 500 pound weight. And it's dragging you down. And it's pretty heavy. And you're getting pretty tired. You know, forgiveness is like that. You can walk into my office and we, we can talk. And I can say, you know, you got to forgive for that. And, and, you know, what are you going to say? Oh, okay. I'll just forgive for that. I'll forgive right now. Walk out. Never come back again. No, I assure you, before you get to your car, it'll be back. What I'm saying is, sometimes we have to go through that process over and over again. I remember something that someone did to me. I had a horrible time forgiving for that. I hung on to that for years. Many years. And... That would come to my mind multiple times a day. And I would say, what I would say was, I've already dealt with that. I gave that to God. I've forgiven for that. I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Sometimes you've got to remind yourself that you already forgave something. We don't forget no, there's that saying that says, forgive and forget. No, we don't forget. We, we remember. But eventually you get to the point where you say, I remember, but I've forgiven. I don't hold that against them anymore. And the reason I don't hold that against them anymore is not because of them. It's not for them. It's because Jesus forgave me. And he forgave me a whole lot more than they ever did to me. He forgave me for that. Jesus' Jesus's blood covers their sins and it covers our sins. Refusing to forgive somebody is like drinking poison and expecting them to die. It's, that's ridiculous, isn't it? But why do you want to do that to yourself? You know, your lack of forgiveness, your, lack, your, 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 your bitterness towards them, that's not hurting you. 
I mean, that's not hurting them. They don't care. They don't care. They, they did whatever they did to you. They don't care about you. They don't care what you think. Who it's hurting is yourself. It's hurting yourself. And, you know, maybe as I've been talking about that, maybe God's brought something to your heart that you're like, man, I need to, I need to do something with that. And, you know, I encourage you to do, do something with that right now. Don't let it go. You know, those things tend to, if you've ever had a, if you've ever had a cut on yourself, you know, that got infected and got really bad, the longer you let it go, the worse it gets, doesn't it? It doesn't usually just improve on its own. Now, eventually it may go away, but it can get pretty bad and it can hurt pretty bad. The thing you need to do, if God brings something to your heart like that, you know, maybe you need to forgive somebody or maybe you need to ask for somebody's forgiveness. Maybe you need to go to them. You know, there's that, there's that uh, directive in Scripture where it basically, basically what it says is if you have something against somebody or somebody has something against you, you know, a brother, you should both be going to each other. You should be walking towards each other to resolve that conflict, resolve that thing. You should both be going. But usually that's not the case. Usually it's one person, you know, it's one person. And, and you need to go to people and resolve those issues. You either need to ask forgiveness or you need to offer forgiveness, whatever it is. Don't, you know, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Why is that? It's because the next day it's worse. It doesn't get better. It's, it's sort of like a, it's sort of like a wound that, that kind of scabs over. You know, if you, if you hang on to something overnight, the next day, there's this little, there's this little film over it. You know, it, it kind of looks like, it looks like it's healed a little bit, but it's not. Underneath that, the wound is still there. That's, that's especially important if it's your husband or your wife. If you have something that happened, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Talk it out. Talk it out. And you know what? If you're wrong, be man enough to say, I was wrong. In fact, my advice would be, men, even if you're not wrong, say, I was wrong. <laughs> no, but seriously, don't be afraid to admit when you're wrong. Some of us have a lot of pride, and we don't want to admit that we're wrong. But, you know, in my case, in my case, just being honest here, usually if my wife has a different opinion, she's usually right. She usually is. God sent her to me for, uh, for a very good reason. And it's, it's because, you know, it's because Scripture says this. Scripture says it's not good for man to be alone. It was not good for me to be alone. I was a moron when I was alone. My wife helped me. My wife helped me and set me on... God used her in my life. Don't tell her that. She'll, she'll get proud. Don't tell her that. But, but it's true, and I don't think she's listening today. I think she's at work. So the acts of the sinful nature are all kinds, all kinds of debauchery. All kinds of debauchery. Why do you think the Bible says don't be drunk? You ever think about that? The Bible says don't be drunk. It's because people, particularly men, act moronic when they're drunk. They do stupid things. 
because that's the effect of alcohol. Would you have done those stupid things anyway? Maybe, but not nearly so readily. You might have thought about it a little bit before. Christians fall into these kinds of sins all the time. And the point is not that you beat yourself up and you say, oh, I'm a horrible Christian. That may be true, might be true. But the point is that, that God wants to set us on the right path. He sent Jesus to say, here is the path. Here's how to go. Follow me. Look at me. Mimic what I'm doing. You remember, you remember what mimic means? Back in school, you know, they had, uh, had speech class, and one of the things we did was mimic somebody else. You know, usually today, if someone's doing that, usually it's a, te- a sister teasing a brother. You're going to mimic them until they drive them nuts. That's not what God's talking about there. God's saying, Jesus, Jesus does what the Father does and says what the Father says, and we are to reflect that. We're to reflect that. And certain behaviors like this list right here, there's hope for us. There's hope. Stop what you're doing. Turn. Ask forgiveness. Ask forgiveness from God. And if you need to, go to that person you've offended and and get it right with them. And then what? Then move on. Don't sit there and dwell in that place. Don't sit there and, and, and wallow in your misery over it and say, what a horrible person I am. You might be a horrible person, but you don't wallow in it. That's the point. We're going to move on. You know, it's like the prodigal son in there with the pigs. He didn't stay in there with the pigs. He was there with the pigs because he made a moronic decision. But eventually he realized, oh, I've got a dad who has a great house and lots of food. And I've been acting like a moron, but I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home. I'm going to change the way I've been living. I'm going to live in a way that honors my daddy. And that's what we're to do too. Live in a way that honors our daddy. You leave your past behind. You leave it behind. You know, I've joked about that sometimes. I said, I said, the old man that I was is still alive in here somewhere. I put it in a closet. I don't give it any water. I don't give it any food. I'm hoping it will die. I hope it will die. But every now and then, it's kind of like one of those zombie movies, you know. They bury the body, and then pretty soon there's an arm coming up. Sort of like that. But you've got to leave that all behind. You've got to realize that's dead. That is the old you. That's the old you. Now you can go back and do CPR on it and resuscitate it if you want to. But that just leads to moronic behavior. We want to live like the Lord. We need to move on. And honestly, if you move on far enough, it gets a little harder to go back and do CPR on that thing that was before that old man be imitators of God Paul says be imitators of God and live a life of love just like Christ loved how did Christ love how did Christ love us do you realize that Jesus Christ 
left heaven to come down here on earth and live like the rest of us? He made that choice. You think about that? He left the glories of heaven. We, we, can, we can't even imagine what he left. We don't even know what we left, but we know what's down here, don't we? And, and if you're anything over 20, you know that, that, you know, everything that's here, not that great. Not that great compared to heaven. And Jesus left that. How did Jesus love us? He gave his life for us. Not only did he give his life for us, you know, this is what doesn't come through in the movies. In the movies, they can depict all of the physical suffering pretty well. It's pretty gruesome, honestly. But what it doesn't depict is that Jesus took the sins of the world for all time on himself. He took your sins. He took my sins You think you're walking around with a heavy weight from your sins? Imagine. Imagine what he did. He left all of that and took your sins upon himself. That's how he loved you. And that's what we're saying right here. We need to to love. We need to love like Jesus loved. We need to give ourselves. If you're in a marriage, that's a very easy thing to explain. You love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, you love your husband as Christ loved the church. You give your life to your partner. You give your life to your husband or your wife. And if you're old enough that you have children, then you know how that works with kids, don't you? Or how it should work. You give your life for your children. All of a sudden, it's not all about me. It's not all about me. You know, I may not get to go to the gym every day. I may not get to go hunting every day. I may not get to go, you know, whatever it is you want to do. You, you gave that up when you had children. Because now you're giving your life for your children. Just like Jesus gave you. You give your life. You give yourselves. I would, my prayer for all of you would be that we would be able to reflect the life of Jesus Christ. That we would be able to reflect the light that he is with our fellow man, that we would be able to live in a way that glorifies and honors God. That's my prayer for all of you today, that that this teaching that Paul gave here, that it would be infused in our heart and in our mind, and that we would live out our life in a way that serves and glorifies and honors God. I'm going to be right up here after the service. I'd love to be able to pray with you if you need prayer. And I just ask for God to bless each and every one of you. We have donuts and coffee and stuff across the hall. Please stay in uh, fellowship with each other. Lord God Almighty, thank you for your blessing today. We thank you for your word. We ask you, Lord, that you would infuse it in our hearts. That we would 
truly know what it is to live a life that's glorifying and honoring to you. And we ask your blessing, we ask your forgiveness on each and every person here. And ask you, Lord, that you would work in the heart of each and every person here. Work in their heart and direct them in the way that they need to go. And uh, give them guidance in their daily walk with you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.